Hi, my name's Sam Sheen, and I'm joined as always by my friend and professional colleague, Marie Lindbergh, and this is our podcast, Captivated Audience. Hey, Marie, how are you doing this morning? Hi, Sam. I'm doing well, thank you. We are experiencing some really nice days of summer up here in Stockholm area. We have a really interesting person today on this podcast, don't we? We do, and it's coming from Austria. So uh, welcome to Captivated Audience, Eric Wagner. How are you doing today? Absolutely fine and amazing. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and where you are based? I am working in the compliance area in a large universal bank in, in Austria. And I'm responsible for actually advanced analytics and, and machine learning. I also have a pet project, which means electronic identity, because this covers in total two fundamental pillars when it comes to combating financial crime. The first pillar is, of course, the identity risk. And the second pillar is, of course, the transaction risk. But I guess we focus today on the first one. For people who aren't familiar with the European Identification Program, Eric, to set the scene for this podcast, can you tell me what is EIDAS? EIDAS stands for the Electronic Identification Services, meaning a set of basic infrastructure services to ensure electronic communication in the governmental services area. First one, of course, the electronic signatures, and second one, also the authentication certificates for website communication. And all of them can be used for so-called trust services, for an electronic service that creates, validates, and verifies the signatures, timestamps, seals, and certificates. And it's also used for the electronic identification. Eric, here in the UK, we have implemented the EIDAS regulation in a program we call GovID, and I use it to be able to file my taxes electronically, for example. Do you have a similar program in Austria? It's still ongoing, yes. So we are one of those legates who are not uh, live yet or notified. Although being uh, one of the original, let's say, contributors to this EIDA scheme, which is quite fascinating from a technological perspective. And we have something called Bürgerkarte, Citizen Card, or now it's called more mobile signature because the card version didn't turn out to be too successful due to user experience impediments. But the mobile version is quite successful. Unfortunately, we still have only more than 1 million of the 8 to 9 million citizens that are enrolled for that. And the upcoming version called EID in Austria will be even more secure, especially when it comes to the enrollment process. And then we have the intention to notify it accordingly to EIDAS. Marie, what, what's the program called up there in Sweden? In Sweden, we use Bank ID. Well, that's the most common one, at least. It's a digital identification, and you can use it for anything from like submitting your taxes, doing your online banking, and signing documents, and even order your prescription medicine online. And speaking of digital identifications, Eric, you are part of an expert group who wrote a report called Assessing Portable KYC CDD Solutions in the Banking Sector. Can you please tell us more about that? Absolutely. It was about two years ago when the European Commission thought about to enlarge the usage of EIDAS because until then it was only used for, as I mentioned initially, cross-border governmental services. And how often do you use that? Once in a lifetime, maximum. So if you get ill on somewhere abroad and you might to register somewhere, this, this, but then you have your e-card. So it's quite of limited use. The idea was now to 
encourage the private sector and investigate what is necessary for the private sector to also make use of EIDAS. Point is, it turns out to be not so much usable for the private sector and the European Commission set up a working group for the financial services sector, derived and, and tried to identify what is necessary for banks, for example, or insurance companies to use, make use of EIDAS for onboarding and for continuous uh, KYC. Eric, I understand this is not the first attempt to put together a report. Can I ask you, though, uh, I have two questions. One, I understand you're a rapporteur. First, can you tell us what, what's, what does it mean if you've given the designation a rapporteur at the European Commission on an expert group? Can you tell us also a bit more about the role of the expert group on electronic identification and remote New York customer processes? A very big title. It was a quite large group and uh, it was um, steered by three different uh, DGs, so Direction Générale, it's, everything is well, French like that. The, the role of the rapporteur was to um, combine the subgroup discussions and, and results and report them accordingly to the European Commission, the Direction Générale. Uh, with the three ones, and it also describes nicely uh, where the issue lies in. We have the DG FISMA, for financial markets sensibility. And then we have DigiJust and DigiConnect. DigiJust was back then responsible for anti-money laundering directives. DigiConnect was responsible, I think it still is, uh, for the EIDAS uh, definitions. And uh, we also had 50 people contributing there, quite one of the largest expert groups I've heard. It was my first one, so it was a new experience for me, quite interesting, very political. And there were three sets of participants. One was the, of course, EADAS Corporation representatives for uh, who were responsible for setting up and maintaining the EADAS network and framework. And the second one was uh, a set of regulators, national ones. And also um, uh, the EBA was participating there. And last but not least, the private sector. Bunch of um, banks, insurance companies, payment service providers uh, contributing there. And it was uh, very fascinating to see where their different interests uh, lean. It turned out that it was more on the private sector to defining what is necessary. And the regulatory side was more on the side, well, we want to be technology neutral. Uh, and it's a um, thing of, the, of risk management from banks and insurance companies and payment service providers on how to deal with that. We don't want to put too much definitions or impose specific technological solutions on banks in order to promote this. There was also some difference in how the private sector saw the attributes or the KYC required, right? We on the other side, so the, the bank networks, for example, and insurance companies were quite opposite. Uh, because we said we have so many uh, so-called KYC solutions or identity solutions, 200 plus and still increasing in Europe alone, so that there is no standard. And uh, how do we, how are we supposed to take over a standard, uh, a non-standard as a standard? It's, not impo it's impossible, similar to PSC2, for example. What we defined was also that we need a large set of attributes to order to fulfill KYC. And we have to set up a kind of basic sets, which is always in use for all banks uh, based on best practices and market practices. And turned out that we talk about 50 plus or so attributes. And guess how many attributes covered by EIDAS is mandatory? Yeah, I think you told Marie and I earlier that the EIDAS only 
um, has rules in relation to four of the attributes. You can see the discrepancy here. And it was a hard discussion to also discuss with the regulators that uh, we would need or would love to have a kind of standardized set of attributes for KYC purposes. And KYC we defined in two blocks. One was the identification of a person or a legal entity. We didn't distinguish here. And uh, the so-called due diligence, which is a much broader set because we need to know many, many things about um, like a customer in order to do our due diligence and to verify whether this um, personal legal entity is eligible for our financial services or not. And we cannot simply rely on a unique ID number and that's it because then we know this unique number, but nothing more. I don't know if you're familiar, Eric, but there was a paper that was written that I saw presented in 2018. It didn't seem to go very far. It didn't seem to be actioned upon. This report is much more detailed and it's looking really carefully in a more operational way. So I'm wondering if we could get into some of the particular observations you made. So the first one I thought that was so interesting was about recognizing the fragmentation of onboarding processes. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, um, what we found out in this, uh, let's say, cross-border financial services uh, working group is, and it's nothing new to be honest, that there are different means of corroboration for identity or due diligence in the various member states. When we have, for example, national identity cards, do you think uh, all member states have a national ID card? How many don't have a one from the back then 28? Exactly, three didn't have a national ID card, only 25. And the three ones were UK, Denmark and Ireland. Ireland and UK, I can get some gist around it because uh, the Anglo-Saxon area has in general an issue with identification, identification documents, uh, unique IDs. So this is a kind of cultural issue. Denmark, I still try to figure out why, but anyway. And uh, for the remaining 25 member states, guess how many don't have gender on national ID card? Tell us, please. In Sweden, we sort of have it due to the combinations of number in our personal identity number, but it's not clearly stated. That's a, it, was, it was also the, what I found out, Greece, Cyprus, and you wouldn't believe it, Germany. Well, fun fact is, guess what did they have instead? Eye color. Well, something we uh, got rid of uh, decades ago, because uh, meantime, with contact lenses, you can have any eye color you want additional corroborating attributes you need for identification, for basic identification of a person. Otherwise, you can't rely on a picture because based on the picture, well, sometimes it's difficult to tell. Even for the name, Andrea in Italy can be both, huh? or Ike in Germany can be both. It's hard to, to, to discuss this yeah? and then to, to rule this completely out. Let's talk about the new norm, remote interactions. We are moving away from face-to-face -face onboarding which also, of course, then puts a lot of emphasis on open data environment and a collaborative approach. Yes, um, please bear in mind, we talk about financial services and we have uh, the harshest regulations ever. Yeah? So we need more, we are legally obliged by the regulator and to gather these attributes. It's not something we, we make fun of, or we simply say, well, it's uh, cool to have all these attributes. No, we're legally obliged to gather them. Yeah, for our own risk management purposes, but also for preventing financial crime in general for society. So uh, what we came up is uh, we want to have a kind of set of standardized set of KYC attributes 
for all major financial use cases, for account opening and payment, for lending and for investment. Then, of course, we would like to have full KYC, what we call in, in financial services coverage, meaning not only identification of diligence, but also enhanced diligence for, for higher risk situations or higher, higher risk situations. We are even obliged to gather even more attributes. We also have the obligers, so who are the ones we need to identify, like private individuals and legal entities, both of them. And the so-called, we call them back then connectors, meaning uh, the role a private individual has in a company, like managing director, legal representative, whatever, even ultimate beneficial owner. And also between uh, private individuals and private individuals, like a legal guardian. And for each of these attributes, uh, we said, based on certain components, there are different levels of insurance. And here we took the liberty of hijacking the definition of EIDAS and tried to adapted a little bit, and the EIS Corporation Network was not such a fan of this exercise, so there was a huge resistance to that. They said, no, we want to be orthodox, and we remain with our definitions, which are, to be honest, a bit vague still. I still don't get what they really mean in the end. Uh, that's why there are so many guidance papers on that. Eric, can I ask you a totally out there question? You're a data analytics specialist. What was it like working with people whose careers have focused predominantly on AML compliance? Because you, you must have been a, a bit of a unicorn in that room relative to people who've sat in the room in the past and talked about financial crime. Thank God I was not the only one. <laughs> I had uh, two or three other colleagues, uh, likewise minded and with a similar background, but it was very predominant of, of, of lawyers yeah, with a legal background. Uh, it was fascinating to discuss with these people and uh, get a glimpse of their mindset and their thinking. A funny thing is, best worked pure logic because this is hard to compete. It cannot come with, with emotions or, or strategies or visions. Nobody really cares about that. But if you come with logic, logical argumentation, it gets quite hard for many lawyers to counter-argue. And we had also situations where there was a, a split between the lawyers and the regulators. So one half was for us because they got <laughs> the, gist, the gist of it. And the other half was still, um, I, don't, I don't know, I would say neglecting the reality. Or I don't know. Yeah? <laughs> Living in their own bubble world. This was quite interesting and it's still it's highly political. This is something uh, that came on top of this, um, of this uh, endeavor. It was also fascinating to see how politics work. And I'm still, still, still a beginner in that because it was my first European Commission count on that. And uh, I would love to continue on that. And that was part one of our chat with Eric Wagner. Want to find out the result of that report and whether or not it will be incorporated into the proposed revisions to the European Risk Factor Guidelines? Well, you'll have to join us for part two of his podcast. If you have any ideas or suggestions about future podcasts, or if you'd like to take part yourself, feel free to reach out to us on our LinkedIn page dedicated to this podcast or on our website, captivatedaudience.eu. But you'll have to be quick because shortly we'll be taking a well-deserved summer break and setting our agenda when we restart again in September. Until then, thanks for listening and stay safe. <laughs>